0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froeg. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Segelski. And today, we have the number one rep at Clary. It's Lynn Powers. Nick, why should people listen? Well...
1: Lynn doesn't boast for herself, but I'm going to boast for Lynn because she's a phenomenal seller who actually closed the largest deal in Clary history. And in this episode, we did a mini deal review where we actually broke down the steps that Lynn followed to close this massive enterprise deal in pretty quick fashion. So if you want to learn step-by-step how a real enterprise seller navigates big deals, you may like this episode.
0: And we broke it down a three, a two, in a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty 10, 20 different steps. But it's a good episode.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at
0: Boomerang. And you can get that
1: documentation for free at the
0: link in the show notes. Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman it's auto reminders for everything. If I expect
1: All right, Lynn, welcome to 30 Minutes to President's Club. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three.
2: Number one for me is if you have the opportunity to meet with your economic buyer, use the time to pre-schedule a final executive readout with a full staff of their executive team or full staff of who you can execute your deal with.
1: Great. What's number two?
2: Number two is map out the 10 things that are going to be required to come prepared with for that executive meeting. So what do I need to do in order to move the deal forward so that I can ask for the business by the time that I meet with that executive team at the end? So technical, legal, et cetera, anything that might have you move your deal process to a standpoint of getting the deal done at that executive meeting is going to be extremely important.
1: Very nice. Round us out. What's number three?
2: Number three is before going into that executive meeting, you want to make sure that your economic buyer is pre-selling the team that you're going to be meeting with. So look at it as not only are we meeting with this executive team, but what might come up as a hurdle in that executive meeting that we can get ahead of before we do it, that big meeting and making sure that your economic buyer is comfortable enough to make those selling points for you and help you with the success that you will have in that larger meeting with the full staff.
0: So this is going to be a 30 MPC special because for those of you who don't know, Lynn works for Clary and Lynn just closed the biggest deal in Clary history. So we're going to spend the lion's share of this episode actually walking through the beginning to end of how we navigated a massive enterprise deal. So, Lynn, in the prep, you mentioned that this was an account that you previously marked as red or lower priority in your territory. And then you were like, okay, which are the accounts that I haven't reached out to yet that I might actually try to break into? You pick up this red account that you thought wasn't going to go anywhere. How did you actually break in and prospect into that account?
2: Yeah, so one is doing my due diligence and research. So looking at current news, new hires, executive staff, any articles that were wrote about them. The other thing is really digging into career pages. So looking at tech stocks in their career pages and then any key challenges that I might see with that so that I can be prepared to ask those questions of typically when I see this type of tech stock, who was a decision maker in that tech stock? That way I know from a power level perspective where do I need to play in or where do I need to expand my breadth of knowledge in their team. The other thing is I like to have three buying committees. So in that executive meeting, I need to know exactly what other executives I want to touch and why it's important for me to touch them. If I have that objective in mind as I'm going through that meeting, I know exactly where I want to end up. If it falls on one or two of them, that's great. If I can get all three to me, that opens up my deal to be a lot stickier than it was when I initially started. Another thing prepping in advance for this is if you can have any type of calls with lower levels, so below the power line, just getting a feel for tactically, what is it like on the field for them? And how can I use that knowledge or quotes from them to power what's happening in that first initial meeting with the executive buyer?
0: So Lynn, just to play this back, what you've done before, reaching out to this executive buyer is you're developing your point of view, all of the things that they might be looking to accomplish. And you're also mapping the account. In other words, you're drawing circles of power on the account so that when you get in there, you know how you plan on navigating your way around this account. So that's all of the research that you're doing to initially pick a landing point in the account. So let's say you've already met with that first executive buyer, okay? So at the end of that meeting with the first executive buyer, we'll call it the VP of sales or the CRO, right? It sounds like you've identified other pockets of power, right? So maybe it's ahead of RevOps, maybe it's ahead of customer success, I don't know, right? I'm curious, at the end of that meeting with the CRO, where are you going in the account? Are you asking the CRO to introduce you down to their department leads? Or are you asking them to introduce you laterally to the other departments like customer success and sales operations or revenue operations?
2: Armand, you're going to think I'm crazy. I ask to get an executive meeting with all of them. So I do an initial demo and we're like a demo teaser on that first call. Again, really honing in on initiatives and objectives. And then I ask for the full demo with a full executive staff couple weeks out, then if they're intrigued with that type of framing, then I say, in order for us to do really, really well in front of the rest of your executive team and make you look like a star, these are the 10 things that I need to accomplish before that meeting. This would typically happen with a BI person. This part of it would happen with an IT person. This part would happen with sales ops. So I'm asking for the big meeting first. And then dialing in the reasons how I can get that successful as a way to get into the calendar of everyone else.
0: This is brilliant. What most people would do is they would ask for all of those 10 mini steps first, Yep. right? They would say, I'm at point A, I'm asking for point B, point B will lead to point C, point D is an IT review, and then point E is the executive review. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, we're at point A today, you're an executive. I'm going to ask for point Z in return. I'm going to ask for the 10-person executive staff demo first. And then that's going to be our end point on the map that justifies the 10 points in between now and then in the sales cycle. So I'm curious, if they say, sure, are you literally sending an invitation at that point to their entire executive staff five weeks down the road? Or are you setting a reminder calendar invite to touch base with this executive buyer again? How did you actually operationalize that big end meeting?
2: I ask for all the EA's emails. (laughs) They have the time to go look at the one slot that might synchronize and work with all five of them versus me asking for this C-level person to make the ask to all the other C-level people, right? So I really want to get in with the EAs and really understand like, what do they care about, right? So I got as granular as knowing that they get flowers delivered to the office on a certain day. (laughs) And so- scheduling an executive meeting in person around that type of day so that I can bring whatever like the flowers the day of when they're likely to be dying right so just getting very very specific around things that they might care about and how that might sway me into a personal relationship versus a business relationship or a
1: business transaction thank you for adding that because that gives gives me the confidence like I'm always like oh like I feel like this EA might have some good intel but I never actually asked cuz I'm like oh that's going to seem weird but like hearing that you did that gives me the confidence to say okay I'm actually going to ask these people.
0: Yeah so I want to dig in tactically on this. So if we go back you met with this uh, executive buyer. You got introductions to 5 to 10 EAs and now you're getting intel from these EAs. Did you meet individually with each of the EAs on the executive team or was this all over email?
2: Over email, a couple of them, I'll just call their cell phones and get on a texting relationship as quickly as possible with them. Like if it's in the signature, there's a reason why it's in the signature. So I did it that way where I got emails. If they responded to the emails, I texted or just called directly and said, hey, like here's some slots. I'll shoot you over a quick text if there's any other ones that might work for us, but let me know if you need anything. I'm here for you as quickly as possible over phone.
0: So you texted or called each of these EAs, and you're telling them, Hey, there's a time where we need to meet with the entire executive team. So you're essentially working with each of them to plan this big exec meeting. Is the first time you meet each of these executives going to be in that big meeting with 10 executives? Or are you also trying to get one-on-one exec meetings with each of them so it's not a big hurrah all at once?
2: Yeah, so this is the beauty of asking for the executive meeting first and then telling them tactically what you would need to be successful in that meeting. So in this case, what happened was I scheduled the executive meeting. I then go back and ask for the tactical ones that will get us there. And then as those meetings progress, things might come up where other ones of those executives might play into the use case, right? So for example, marketing might have another technology that they're looking at to do a similar thing with. So when I say I need to do a demo with your lower level team, I'm asking this specific thing is something we're going to be covering. I know that that might be important for XYZ because they were had a heavy hand in the purchase of XYZ product. How can we make sure that we address any concerns with that in that call? And then, so I start to invite their peers to the meeting, but then again, tease out what might be important for each one of these executives and call it out to my economic buyer when I'm going into every single meeting that's going to happen ahead of that big meeting with the executive team.
1: I want to call out one really strategic thing that you're doing, which is you are figuring out when you are kicking out software, you're figuring out who the person who procured that software was. Because even if that person bought Windows 98 and you're demoing a way better version of Windows, the person who bought this ancient antiquated software, they still have a relationship with it. And You're almost calling their baby ugly if you're like, look at all the ways our thing is better. And so when you figure out who's the person who's going to be sensitive about this, and then also getting intel around, hey, how can I make sure that that person feels like they're being almost respected and that, hey, you bought this thing. And at the time it was great. It's really, really smart because it allows you to not get caught up by a blocker and you almost turn them into a champion because you know that.
0: And so just to play this back where we are now, is you have your A and your Z steps. So you have that big executive meeting scheduled. And now what you've done is you've gotten introductions to the different department leads of each department, right? So you're essentially, you're probably operating at the director level or maybe even at the VP level if it's a really big organization. Is that correct? Yep. Cool. And so you mentioned that you have like the marketing department, for example. So you might have three directors of marketing or three VPs of marketing that you're working with. And then you have the sales department, you have three VPs of sales or directors of sales that you're working with as well. So let's talk about the department level, right? Let's say I'm just tackling the sales department. If we again take this concept of separating out the different ties in the sales cycle, do you prefer to meet with all three VPs of sales or all three directors at the same time? Or are you running... 10 different one-on-one conversations with every single person in the sales cycle?
2: Yeah, really good question. For this particular one, I did all of them at once. But if you could get separate threads going with them, so say you have a general thread that everyone's on, you're teasing out three one-off messages to everybody, asking them directly hey, how can we work better together? Or I know that I sent this really long email recapping our our thoughts from our demo or recapping what was important for the org. I know you are new in your region. What might be different for you specifically that I can call out that is a benefit for your group, right? So doing some research around kind of tenure, what might be important for that individual and then calling that out in an email if you can't get them one-on-one in a meeting.
0: So what you are doing here is knowing that you can't get one-on-ones with these people, we'll call it three VPs for now, three VPs of sales. You're reaching out to them individually so that you can inform what you show or what you talk about in a meeting that will have to be more generic because there are more people in it. So let's say you show up to that meeting with the three leaders of the department. Okay, It's the RVP of EMEA sales, US sales, and APAC sales, for instance. How do you run that call would be my first question. What is the call structure? Is it a demo? Is it a discovery? Is it this and that? And then two, who is there with you from your team? And how are they helping you run the call?
2: Yeah. So usually the call is ran with about five minutes of deck. I spend probably as limited time as possible there trying to do again, all my discovery up front before the meeting, because Clary as a product is pretty vast. And so knowing where to focus is going to be incredibly important. That five minutes on the deck is really spent to really know how to navigate the demo. What is going to be important? It might have been something different for another team, but this team that's on the phone today, what are you hoping to get out of this call? Um, Secondly, I would then go through the demo. The way that the demo is framed is with my SE. Sometimes my manager will hop on as well. The glory of selling a sales tool is you can kind of give the power line and how the power line will use it versus how I as a rep will use it. And so providing use case differentiators as we're going through the demo, but then also calling out very specific use cases that typical customers of this nature or of the same industry, of the same persona have found impactful in the past. So peppering use cases as you're going through your demo um, pointing out key things that as a new buyer, as a new tool for you to use. If there's anything you walk away with, this is the one thing that you're going to want. So when you call it out like that, when they're in that executive meeting or when they're asked, like, what did you think about this product? Usually those are the the main things that they're going to remember. So it's really, really important for you to do that through the demo versus having them come up with their own opinion after the fact watching your demo.
1: I can't imagine that your sales manager joins you on 100% of the calls that you have, especially because of all the multi-threading that you're doing in your deal. How do you decide what calls you will bring your manager on to?
2: Great call out because usually he doesn't have the time to join all of my, my demos. The beauty of using Clary as well is Wingman gives me battle cards so I can prep myself for what he would typically say if he doesn't join those calls. The ones that I usually have him join are the ones where after the fact I want him to have a relationship with them to have another thread at a specific person that I'm trying to sell to. So If it's not a big group or if it's RVPs, it's not the CRO, I think a little bit differently about whether or not it's important to include my manager in that meeting, or is it something that I can just kind of run with on my own? So kind of two-threaded. One, if he's not able to join because it's a time constraint, making sure my battle cards are ready to go. Two, if he can join the call. What role is he going to be playing and how specific can I get around that? Or three, if it's not someone that I need to have a multi-thread to later or a relationship at a higher level with later, then it's likely not someone that I'm going to include in the call.
0: So Lynn, if we reorient ourselves around where we are in the sales cycle is you've done this five minute deck for the department leads. You've done a short demo. It sounds like it's 15, 20 minutes. And what you've also done is you've weaved in the intel that you learned in those one-on-one emails to each of those department leads into your demo, and you've highlighted the top use cases that you want them to remember later on. At the end of that call, you're looking at these three other VPs of sales. What is your ask to the multi-threaded room?
2: I would say that Once we move through implementation, so assume the close, (laughs) once we move through implementation, I would love to use you as a power person that I reflect back with on feedback that I'm getting from your executive staff, making sure that that resonates with what you're doing on the front end so I can provide recommendations back to your operations team. Is that something that you're willing to do or is there someone else that you think might be a better person that has used other tools in the past that could be better for me to bounce ideas off of?
1: Lynn, what is the strategy behind that ask? Why do you you have that be your, I guess it's not even an ask. It's more of a statement at the end. Yeah, I
2: think of this as you need to close a deal for the references that you're going to get versus closing a deal for a win, right? If I have three RVPs on a call, those are three sales leaders that I can go to later and ask for a reference from. It's a lot more powerful for me to have four, five, six, seven, eight different references at the end of a sales cycle than it is for me to have one point person that I'm coming back to around all of the tactics that we discovered or had went through. If I don't call it out or recognize what that means for me during that call, during that first interaction with the RVP, I'm never gonna be able to go back and ask for that or it might be a little bit more awkward for me to ask versus assuming that I'm going to ask it later and knowing that I'm gonna come back to you for feedback on
1: this once it's implemented. It's actually really intelligent what you're doing because at the end of that meeting that you have with those RVPs, that is the strongest that your relationship likely will ever be with those people because you just met for a long time. And if you come back to them in six months and you say, hey, remember me, would you be a reference? They're like, ah. But if you ask them in the moment, it's so easy for them to say yes because there's no action they need to take at that time. But because they've said yes, when you come back in six months, they're like they've got that cognitive dissonance where they already said yes, so they almost like have to commit to what you asked. And so you're taking advantage of the fact that, oh, the bond is strongest them. it's it's easiest for them to say yes. I'm going to ask in that moment. And then what ends up happening for you is instead of you having to be dependent upon your customer success team or your marketing team or somebody else for references, you have this whole bank of people who can be like, not only can they vouch for Clary, but they can vouch for you specifically.
0: What I love is you're essentially creating mini snowballs within each department. And you're trying to get them as big and rolling with as much momentum and as many supporters, peoples, and information as humanly possible so that when you go to that final meeting that you scheduled on day one, you have as much ammunition as humanly possible. So we've met with our economic buyer up front. We've met with each of the departments. And now we know what sales cares about, we know what marketing cares about, we know what CS cares about, renewals, implementations, what have you, etc. Now we have essentially the findings and the recommendations across all of the departments. My guess is the first time you present those findings, recommendations, or a proposal is not in that 10-person meeting. Where do you bring those findings? Are you bringing them to the individual department leads one-on-one, or are you bringing those to your economic buyer first? Where do you take what you've done?
2: I take it to the economic buyer first, because if there's anyone that's equipped to deliver that message the strongest, it's not going to be me and it's not going to be anyone from my team. And so preparing my economic buyer the best way possible and whatever second, third person that is on his team that might get asked the same questions, preparing them in a very similar way. Because no matter from an executive staff who might be in that meeting, there are other players that are going to be talking in those department leads that they could also work together and create another buying group, right? So making sure not only am I updating the economic buyer to deliver that message, but I'm also updating all of their leads to deliver that same message. So when they hear it from me, it's not the first time. It's not the second time. It might be the fourth or fifth time to hear it.
0: So you are making sure that the first time those executives hear the, this recommendation and this findings, and what will probably be a massive seven-figure contract, is not in that big meeting. You're having your economic buyer do the pre-selling prior to that meeting, which is key. If Lynn took all of these findings and said, hey, all you executives, it's great to meet you. Here's what I know about all of your businesses you got to think of the dynamic in that room. All these executives are looking at each other and they're like, look at all these things they're revealing and I'm figuring them out for the first time. It's going to go horribly wrong. So you're priming them and preparing them for that message. Let's go to that final X person executive meeting. We'll call it a five person executive meeting. All of them have quote unquote been pre-sold by your economic buyer. How do you kick off that meeting
2: Yeah. So our economic buyers kicking off the meeting, right? And really talking through what a partnership looks like. So we're framing the meeting as an introduction to our implementation phase, right? So it's not, we're still selling, we're still selling. It's no, this is what it will look like the day that all of us can come to a table and and eat a meal together, right? So the economic buyers kicking it off. The executive from our end is telling the story of why it's important for us to have this partnership and why it might be risky if we didn't have the partnership. And then we're moving through key phases that we went through to do our due diligence in order to earn their business. So at the end of that meeting, I feel completely comfortable asking for the close because we're talking about it from a partnership angle, not a selling angle and whether or not you see the value. I think that's where a lot of things get lost in these executive meetings is you're no longer selling the value or you shouldn't be selling the value at that point. You're already up against a potential loss if you're at that stage.
1: So what you're doing is you're voicing over, by the way, all the due diligence we did for this was we met with these people and these people and these people and these people. And we really know your business because we did a lot of work here. Yep. I know there's a lot of salespeople out there that are obsessed with closing, but I am curious What are the words that you say when you ask for the business?
2: Oh, man. (laughs) I say there's a lot of investments happening around the industry. There's a lot of risk that's happening around the industry. One thing that I can stand true to is the fact that you and I can become a really great partner together in meeting the risk and with technology, how we can close and move successfully forward. Is this something that you're willing to do or what risk will be taken if you don't move forward?
1: So they say, you know what, Lynn, we know this is a lot of money, but we got to do this. We got to move forward. There's no way our business is going to survive if we don't make some sort of investment like this. So you've got the verbal from the customer. Now you move forward. I imagine there's some sort of debrief with your EB. I also don't imagine that the customer just says, Lynn, whatever you quoted us, let's pay it. Send us the contract. I'm going to sign today. How do you navigate the negotiation piece?
2: Yeah. So I try to get out all negotiation prior to that executive meeting because I don't want to be up against dollar figures getting slashed at the end of that executive meeting. And so for me, it's how do I ring true to value with the numbers? And it becomes an exercise of if we were able to provide this value to more of your staff, What are you willing to take on? And so then it's here's option A, B, or C. C would be the biggest chunk that we take down. A is just a a crawl approach, but B might be comfortable for you. Which of these three are the best option for us to successfully measure impact the quickest for you, but also be able to scale it? So, that we're not coming up with new orders later down the road that are unexpected because you want more other people to use it. In that first meeting where I'm asking for the introduction to the economic buyer, I'm also asking for the introduction to procurement. So, just as much as I'm running the sale of what gets like how we sell value, I'm also running the sale of. How do we get signature and what does it mean to get signature in your org? What is the process for that signature in your org? If you run both of these simultaneous, you're not going to get caught up one or the other. They're going to both happen at the same time. So getting introduced as early as possible to procurement, but also being very, very realistic with your economic buyer around what they're hoping to accomplish and what budget do
1: they have for that? I bet you've seen other salespeople do a great job and other salespeople do a not so great job in, in navigating the procurement piece. Do you have any like big do's or don'ts related to navigating procurement that you would recommend other reps follow? I would say transparency
2: between procurement and your economic buyer is absolutely essential because if you're running into the abyss with your EB or you're running into the abyss with your procurement person, your deal can already fall down to the floor if both of them are not connected at that same pace because you want it to be accelerated at the level that the EB would expect, but also realistic to the point where procurement can meet the EB at that. So if you break one of those two, your deal can be completely done. So that relationship is the number one that you need to protect. And so making sure they are tight on whatever your messaging is, whatever your progress is, those two people should always be updated together and make sure that they have the same sentiment around the urgency of your deal.
1: Lynn, thank you for a masterclass in closing the biggest deal ever but we're running out of time. And so we got to move ourselves to the final question. And the final question is this, we've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I get to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps?
2: I would say building your brand in a very specific way. So I think a lot of folks are getting convoluted of building your brand means your presence on social or LinkedIn or whatever that might be. And and truly building your brand for me means identifying what's important for you, what's important for your customers, and how you're going to carry that beyond any type of sales cycle. So. How do you ask for direct feedback? How do you become surrounded by like-minded individuals so that if anyone ever has a revenue question or a woman in revenue question, because of my brand and because of the type of characteristics I serve to my communities... That becomes easy to answer without me posting on social every single day. So I focus a lot of my time on execution and relationships and how do I build that and make it really, really meaningful and authentic versus putting all of my work out on social um, with quick wins or little tips and tricks that I do. So building your brand in a very meaningful way to stay authentic to who you are and what impact you're serving to communities.
1: Lynn, can you give us the 20 seconds on women in revenue and how women in revenue can get involved and why they might want to get involved? Yes. So
2: Women in Revenue is a nonprofit organization that serves for women in revenue generating and supporting roles. So sales, customer success, marketing, ops, and really what we do is help elevate the career through things like free mentorship, free speaking coaching, free speaking opportunities to help with the equality that we see on panels today and provide a really, really deep support network. On how we can help each other in these roles, given that most of the roles aren't provided to women first, or they're not as highly likely to be in these roles against any other gendered counterparts. So if you haven't, join Women in Revenue. It's a free community. You can go to womeninrevenue.org and sign up to become a member.
1: Boom. Everybody, go take advantage of that. And please get in contact with Lynn if you'd like to learn more. Stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.
0: And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-minute masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Lynn Powers includes number one, when you get access to an executive buyer at the beginning of the sales cycle, pre-schedule the big executive meeting at the end of the sales cycle today. Number two, map out the 10 things that you're going to need to do now to prepare for that big executive meeting. Number three, as you go through the steps of meeting the department leads, if you're meeting with multiple leads, send them each one-on-one messages to figure out what's important to them. And then lastly, number four, before going into that final executive meeting, have your economic buyer pre-sell each executive before doing the big hurrah presentation so you can position it as an introduction to your implementation phase, not a pitch meeting. All righty, Nick, how could people help us out here?
1: Well, if you are joining a big enterprise meeting with an executive and you're quaking in your boots a little bit and you're thinking, gosh, I really wish that I could have Nick or Armand join the call with me as my wingman, well you're sort of in luck because we partnered with wingman by clary and what we did was we embedded some of our best sales tips into wingman as part of their battle cards and so if you want to go access a free trial of wingman by clary you can do that and you can get the free 30 MPC battle cards to remind you to stop talking if you've monologued for two and a half minutes or how you might handle a tough objection so go check that out it's in the show notes and we'll see you next week on 30 MPC. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way, your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the
0: show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass. And you can steal it too in the show notes.